my listeners, we have an amazing guest on our show. Uh, it's Bella Poynton. Uh, she is a playwright, director, PhD candidate. Uh, we know her from Iowa, and we're so glad to share this interview with you guys. Yeah, I think this is a really good one, so mm-hmm. uh, stay tuned. And we just wanted to let you know we have a correction to make about the interview. So in the show, we talk about an upcoming production of a play called Shelter, which will be at the Otherworld Theater, and it's being put on by Bella's theater company, The Navigators. And that will actually be opening July 12th. So if you're in Chicago or near Chicago and interested in seeing it, you can catch it at the Otherworld Theater starting July 12th. Yeah. So without further ado, here's the interview with Bella. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. I'm Sarah Cho. And I'm Sam Collier. And today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Bella Poynton. She's a playwright, director, and PhD candidate currently based in Buffalo, New York. And she went to grad school with us. So she's another Iowa alum. Welcome, Bella. Hi. Hi, everybody. (laughs) We're so glad to have you on the show. I am so excited Uh to be here. This is so cool. (laughs) So um, we like to start off by asking people about their earliest memory and what they were doing before theater. So would you mind sharing that with us? So you mean my earliest memory as a person? Yeah. Ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you were a baby. When I was a baby. (laughs) Yeah. I think this is really kind of, I think it's kind of like ununique, uh, but my earliest memory is my third birthday party, and I I very vividly remember the cake because it had it, it with frosting. It had a, a huge bushel of balloons, different color balloons on it, and I just <laughs> remember it was so beautiful to me. And that wow. I think that's the earliest memory I have. I know it's kind of like so mundane. It doesn't sound mundane at all. Yeah, it was like all different color balloons. I remember being a little kid and having such visceral reactions to bright colors. Like Mm -hmm. that was the signal that something was for children and therefore was something that we would like. (laughs) It was bright colors. Yeah. Oh, and you didn't like it? You didn't like the bright colors? No, I did like it. Oh, you liked it. Okay. I just, I remember feeling, well, visceral in a good way. Just like I would feel it in my body. Like, like if I saw a bunch of bright Mm -hmm. balloons, Mm -hmm. I would feel that. I don't, Mm -hmm. I can't really explain it. For me, I think when I ever saw like bright balloons on cakes or just in real life, I'm like, this is poison. This is all poison. What? I just remember thinking like it's unnatural. It's weird. It's poison. Yeah, that's what I remember Why? thinking as a kid. I don't know. I just don't know. Oh, Even wow. candy? I, I used to think that way, but I love candy now. But I think I had this weird reaction. Like, this is all not real. Like, this isn't supposed to look like this. And the colors are so weird to me. Um, you were like, a food suspicious food. child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So, Bella. Um, <laughs> so, what drew you to theater? Like, when did you start uh, experimenting going towards the world of theater. So I think I was in a play, like the the first play I was in was like a church play when I was like five. And, um, I, I remember that none of the other kids, like we were little, we were like four and five and none of the other kids seemed to have the ability to focus for long enough to say the lines or, or do what, you know, what needed to be done. 
So except you, except me. And I, from that point <laughs> on, I was like, Oh, I'm pretty good at this. Um, so yeah, I mean, from that point on, I, I really loved the theater. I, I did all kinds of, uh, theater stuff in, in middle school and high school. I mean, by high school, I was like, you know, I was that weird theater girl. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of like what drew me towards it was I I was just initially very good at it. I was able to focus and memorize and and do things when, you know, on cue. And so uh I just kind of followed that ability. And were you mostly acting as a kid? Yeah. Or did you start writing then? Um, when did you start writing? I wrote <laughs> it's so funny. I initially uh was an actor. I mean, yeah, I think we I think many I think people we'll get that. into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many people get into theater through acting. Um, and then I wrote my first play when I was 12 or 13. I actually still have it. <laughs> you do? Yeah, oh, I whoa. do. Um, I want to read it. <laughs> it's about 60 pages long, and it's about a woman who runs a speakeasy during the 20s. You wrote this when you were 12? Yes. That's amazing. Wow. Um, and it's, uh, we performed it in the cafeteria of my old church. I used to be involved with the church. Um, and like, I got all my friends. I mean, by the time we did it, I was 13, I think. Like the year before <laughs> high school, uh, we all like did it that summer and, and, um, we had to take out the swear words because the priest was like, you can't do that. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, we performed it and people came. It was like a little two night uh, event that we did. So that was my earliest play. And then I didn't write a play again because I, I was really active with acting in high school. And I didn't write a play again until my freshman year of college. And then by that point, I... I denied it all through acting school, but I knew at that point that I was really a playwright. <laughs> How did you know? It felt different, you know, like mm -hmm. it felt different in my body. Um, mm -hmm. Writers don't often talk about how things feel in the body because we, we don't think about our phenomenology as much because we, we sit when we do our art. That sounds like a PhD word. Mm. Oh yeah, it is. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no I love it so, so phenomenology is like your lived experience you know okay. um, mm -hmm. so uh, we don't think about it as much because we were it's a sedentary art form in a lot of ways but it just yeah. feels different when I'm doing it it's just there's so much more um, resonance and activity and creativity happening for me that I you know I just knew it was it was better that you felt like you weren't getting from acting. Or? Yeah. I mean, I, and, mm -hmm. and maybe I uh, have worded it not entirely correctly because I do feel good when I'm acting. I enjoy acting. I really do. Um, yeah. But it's just not the same. There's something else that happens when I am able to world build that I don't yeah. experience as an actor. And it, it's more satisfying for me. I mean, you guys probably have similar experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I haven't, I've never thought about it in that way before. In what way? Like yeah, how, so what do you mean? In my, well, just like, like I've, I guess I've thought about how it feels in my mind, but I haven't thought about how it feels in my body. Yeah. You know, I, right. we don't, we don't talk about it that way yeah. as writers. And I read, it's one of the things, so as I was, as I, as I did my coursework for my PhD, uh, the concept of phenomenology, like getting rid of the binary between mind and body was something that we read a lot of, a lot of theoretical material. And uh, I started to realize that it was really true that like we, we have mm -hmm. these, we, we, we make up these boundaries between things and it's not real you know um and so yeah. uh you know everybody like there's a there's a lived experience of a historian who sits in a in an archive and does history research he, that person has a lived experience as well we don't think about it that way but it's true I think when I write and I get into this like 
intense zone. I it's like I my mind just is removed from my body. Mm. It's like mm-hmm. I get into where mm-hmm. I'm just like sometimes I think that's why sometimes I like to lie down when I'm writing. It's just kind of like when I get into the zone of writing and I'm like lying down and it's like I almost forget everything around me completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that similar? Yeah, I I I mm-hmm. often can't write sitting at a desk either. Mm-hmm. I have to be um like weirdly in like a weird position, like laying down or like like propped up in some way. Um uh especially creative writing. Academic writing for me is different. Uh it's a different experience. So, but, but yeah, and I think that's, I mean, for me, that that's the body saying like, this is, this isn't work, you know, like it's, I can't work. Mm, It's not supposed to be work. It's, it's different. Um, So, so we have to treat it differently. So Bella, how do you stay inspired to write in the midst of, especially your academic work and just daily life and are are there certain things you do to seek inspiration or is inspiration with you all the time and it's more a matter of finding time to write um you know this is kind of a a sad response (laughs) but um I I really didn't write plays for a long long time uh the the coursework was too intense and um well, that makes total sense. <laughs> it it wasn't that like, and this is this is another nuanced thing. Um, it wasn't that I was too tired or that I didn't have time. It wasn't that at all. It's that there's a kind of intellectual and emotional uh, rigor of of for me there was of for the coursework that left literally no mental room for me to think creatively. Mm -hmm. Like I, like there was no, um, there was literally no room for it in my mind. I, I had no, uh, no place to put it or, or no well to kind of pull it out of especially because you're learning all of these new ideas and, and trying to make sense of things in a different way. Uh, and your your brain is is busy processing that stuff. So one of the experiences of it, I mean, I, so everybody knows I'm not done with it. I'm in my final year. I'm I'm writing the dissertation right now. <laughs> congratulations! Thank you. Uh, but You're not close. congratulations yet, right? So I'm I'm not done. But uh, well, congratulations for all that you have done. Well, so far. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Thank you. Um, so. Uh, one of the experiences that happens sometimes, I guess, I don't know if it's universal, but in my program, you have to take a, a comprehensive examination at the end of your coursework. And it's a massive, massive test. It's got three parts to it. <clears throat> you, you study, you're supposed to study. I mean, I studied for a solid semester and a half. I mean, longer than that really two semesters almost um and it's comprehensive performance history from the dawn of time to the present and then um your own subject area of 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 research that you're going to write your dissertation on um so you have these two lists of like a hundred plays and um and and then uh, you know a a list a, a huge list of performance studies theory texts and books that's like 30 35 titles um and you have to read it all and understand it all and comprehend it all and then you go in and you take this massive exam and it's three parts it's uh one is the general exam which is a six-hour test and then a couple days later you take the second part which is a 72-hour exam where you yeah (laughs) wow you, you have to do it at home obviously um, where you write essentially three seminar papers over the course of of three days. And then you send it in, and then you have this massive, like, three- or four-hour defense of what you've written, 
mm-hmm. where you where you not only defend what you've written, but they also ask you about the things that you just so happened to not write about in the exam. Oh and, well, God. yeah, because obviously you can't write about everything. So during that time, I was a zombie, you guys. I have never, <laughs> oh, yeah. I have never experienced anything wow. like that. I would just, like, th- there was nothing going on in my head other than that. Like, I would stare at a tree and, like, that was too much stimulation. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I couldn't oh, stand, I couldn't stand to, like, respond to an email. Like, it was too mm-hmm. much. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was just so much pressure and anxiety and I was studying every day for, I, I would say, six to eight hours a day. And it was wow. just, I mean, it was really, really intense. And so I liken it to that. Like, there's a there was a period of time when I just could not even think about writing anything creatively. Um, I, I, I wrote one play, one new full-length play uh, during the summer two years ago. Just recently... I rewrote a play that I had written a while back that was just kind of a, a a really rough sketch, like a rough draft of something. I never did anything with it. And I went back and I did a, a rewrite of it. Um, and that's the, the second thing I've written since I've started um, my, uh, since I've started uh, the, the PhD. So, uh, Mm-hmm. So I've really only gotten through two full lengths and this, I'm going into my fifth year now. I know that's really kind of like, oh my God, like that's not a lot at all. But, um, well, because you've been doing all this other. Things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and, and I feel now it's, it's funny. Um, as I go into the dissertation, well, I'm, I'm in it. I'm pretty in it. I have a chapter of it. As I as I'm in it and kind of solidly in it, I know where I'm going. It becomes easier to have another life. Um, so yeah. I'm I'm. It's funny that we're talking now because it's almost like <laughs> I uh, n- not much has happened except this whole other life that I had, and now I'm like coming back mm-hmm. to playwriting <laughs> just now. Well, so that seems like a great segue into for our listeners who might be wondering about the about the PhD track. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think you've given a pretty good sense of the rigor and time that's involved. But overall, can you kind of summarize what your experience yes. has been like? Um, um, so you know, it's interesting. I I got this idea in my head that. I really liked the idea of, of, you know, being Dr. Poynton and, (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah, it kind of, it was like this like gnawing thing in in the back of my mind. And, um, after, uh, after I graduated with my MFA at Iowa, I went and I worked for a year as a teaching artist at a, at a regional theater company. And I really didn't, enjoy the job. Um, I, I, I just, it wasn't for me. I wasn't able to do the kinds of things I wanted to do. Um, and I realized that I was more intellectual than I thought that I was during the course of that year, because mm-hmm. I was teaching, uh, not that I don't love kids cause I really do. But when I teach, I prefer to teach a particular kind of material. Um, and yeah. uh, I was like, you know, I, I think it might be, I, I, I might enjoy this. It might be good for me. And I didn't know it at the time, but I've always kind of been a natural researcher. Like I like mm-hmm. to read things uh-huh. and look things up and uh, investigate stuff. Um, it's not work for me. So in that way, uh, it, it was good for me. Um, but I cannot stress enough <laughs> that it is a hundred percent different than getting an MFA. It really is. Um, it is not right. at all the same right. as, as getting a, um, 
uh, a vocational art artistic degree at all. It's a it's a research degree, and mm-hmm. you know if you like that, if you, if you like research and you like theory, absolutely go for it. Um, if you if that kind of stuff tries your patience, I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't mm-hmm. do it. Um, <laughs> because you will, you will, it will be a, a, a steep learning curve. Um, either way, really, even if you do like it a little, it'll still be, um, uh, challenging. Uh, but I, I don't regret it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very excited about, about, um, having the dual degrees and I'm very excited about going on the job market yeah. and, um, I, I think I think I made the right choice. Although, you know, some people have said, like, don't you think it has uh, kind of stopped the momentum you had as a playwright? Oh, and that's interesting. They're right. It, it has in a lot of ways. Because I, I had a, a quite a bit of momentum. I, I think at, at the end of my MFA, I, I had some, you know, some contacts and, and some... Um, kind of good things going and, and uh, not that I let them slip, but after a while, if you don't have a new play, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it right. kind of, it disappears slowly. Well, you just have to kind of recreate. Exactly. Those yeah. Connections you, you ha- there's going to be a, a period of time, a little bit of work, a little bit of work, a lot of work that I have to put in to kind of remake those connections and reintroduce myself and say, you know, I'm back. And, um, I did this thing and here are my yeah. three new plays and yeah, it's a scary thing. I think for, for a lot of people in, in our, in our position um, to, to say, Oh, you're going to have to put yeah. it all on hold for a while. I think that's really scary for a lot of people. Um, it it yeah. can, it can, you know, scare you into not doing it. Uh, but I, I, I like university life. So for me, it made a lot of sense. Um, so while you're earning your PhD and at the end of your MFA, you also, or I think it was between, maybe it was between MFA and PhD, but you started The Navigators. We did. Right. So you're also, yeah, like a founder of a theater company. And what's that experience been like as you're doing your PhD? And, um, <laughs> Super busy. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Navigators. So the Navigators, the Navigators Theater Company, is a small company that I started with uh, Ariel Francoeur and Melina Neves, who were two of my closest collaborators when we were at Iowa, when I was at Iowa. Uh, and so the 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 way that it came about was um, my work tended to be. Uh, what one would call speculative or science fiction. And we uh, found that the three of us worked really, really well together. Um, Melina and I, I think Melina was involved in every play that I wrote at Iowa in some way, whether it was just reading it at, you know, at at workshop or, or having it done uh, up uh, as a production. And then, um, Ariel came, uh, later and, uh, we all just had this passion for sci-fi and we all kind of noticed that science fiction (sighs) tends to be a a male dominated genre. And, And we questioned that, you know? Uh, and so I, I, the last play that I did at Iowa was called Speed of Light. And Melina was in it and Ariel directed it. And we thought, you know, this is, this, this feels, this feels great. And, and we should, we should do something. When you find your people, you should do something about it. So we started this, Mm -hmm. this company and uh, we do sci-fi feminist work. Um, We, we try to produce uh, far more women and, and female identifying writers uh, than men. Although we we do produce some men sometimes. Sometimes they write a good play. I gotta say it. <laughs> uh, every, every once in a while, they, they write a good one. So um, 
<laughs> so so we do 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 some some work by men but but primarily it's it's uh women who are writing the plays producing uh stage managing uh you know designers all that stuff and we produce uh mm. every year we do something called the liftoff festival which is brand new short uh brand new one x brand new sci-fi one x um we have done uh a full length piece in 2017. And now our second full length piece is going up uh, this summer. It's called shelter and it will be uh, at the other world theater in Chicago. And we're really super excited about it. It's a great play. That's great. When does it open? You know, I wish I knew. <laughs> Hold on. I can look it up. Oh, that's okay. I can look it's it up. Okay. It's, hmm. Well, yeah. yeah Stay right. tuned. I wish I Stay knew tuned, the exact dates. I don't. I'm so sorry. I know. It's okay. Now they're just okay. curious. I think that is so important to have those collaborators, to find those collaborators, your um, mm-hmm. tribe, so they would say. And because you can't, with theater, you can't do it alone. Like you need mm-hmm. people. You need those um, support and, you know, working together and creating that support amongst yourselves. Like that's, I think that's just so important. It's vital really into creating theater. Bella, do you have any suggestions for people who might be listening yeah. and thinking about starting a theater company? Like um, what do you wish you had known before? What I wish I had known. Started? Hmm. I have learned. Or what have you learned about? I have learned a number of things. One of them is you will never have any money. <laughs> Two is um <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true for everybody involved in theater in any way two yeah. is uh you have to have an extremely clear strong unique mission statement or you're going to just disappear oh that's interesting um mm-hmm. yeah yes um, so I think some of our, some of the people who like us and kind of keep coming back is because we're so kind of weird, like, mm-hmm. you know, like a feminist science fiction theater company. It's almost too niche. Somebody once made fun of it. <laughs> so I'm serious. Somebody once made fun of it to me um, and they were like, this is such a weird analogy and you can cut this out if, if it's too weird. But they were like, that's so bizarre. It's like, it's almost as if your dream was to have a five-star restaurant for hamsters. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. Was this person a man? Yes. Um, well, that explains it. Because if all he can think is like women science fiction is like a five-star restaurant for hamsters, then he must be a man. <laughs> because newsflash... A lot of people are interested in science fiction. Yeah, and like done by women. <laughs> I I am personally, but he said that to me. I I was initially very offended, but then later, like as time went on, I was like, it's kind of hilarious, and and it's almost great because it means that we really do have this cool niche that that certain people I think really gravitate towards. Um. Uh, and and I've I've tried to kind of uh, reclaim that moment as 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 a funny moment for myself. <laughs> um. So oh, and then yeah. and then the third thing I've learned yeah, is totally. the incredible importance of a good stage manager. Um. Like there's really nothing more important uh-huh. oh, than a really good stage manager. Uh, you gotta have one. You just gotta. So uh, those those are the things. But hey, yeah. I mean, we've only been doing stuff since 2014, so I am still learning. Um, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm still learning. I mean, we we're just becoming, you know, 501c3 and all that stuff. So. Uh, it's it's still a learning process. Talk to me in ten years; I might have a lot more to say. <laughs> oh, okay, we will. Yeah, we, we will. will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, back to the stage manager. What makes a good stage manager? It's a good question. Um, I just think you have to be incredibly organized. 
you have to be ready to not be in the spotlight. Um, but, but also uh, it's so interesting. Like a stage manager has to be a Jack of all trades, but we don't create Jacks of all trades anymore. Do you know what I mean? Everybody yeah. has to be a specialist. Yeah. So it's so wonderful to find a good stage manager because you're like, Oh my God, where did you come from? This person who can do all these different things and has all these great skills. Um, Such as for example, what? Well, like, well, they have to be really good with people. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that's, actually a, ch- a, a great challenge you know they have to be a great communicator they have to be a great uh kind of conflict mediator um mm-hmm. they have to be incredibly organized and then they have to know a- about all of the aspects of theater they have to know about you know how does a light board run how does a soundboard run how to mm-hmm. you know why uh you know, how do I interact with the actors? How do I interact with my Yeah, director? I was going to say, talking to actors is a really different skill from talking to a lightboard operator. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Right? And so, yeah, it's like code switching. It is absolutely like code switching. And so it's, a, it's, it's incredible to find a good one because it, they're, they're, they're just, they're so uh, valuable. Um, because they do so much and and in, in such a specialized world where it's like you, f- you focus on this one thing you want to be so good at it um i'm sure that stage managers think of what they do as a specialization i'm not saying it's not oh my god i don't mean that at all i just mean that within right. it there's so much happening that 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 mm-hmm. i value um and and within it i see so many different skill sets uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's what I mean. I hope some, I hope stage managers aren't listening to this being like, I, I'm a specialist. How <laughs> crazy. No, I don't think so. I think they're very, they, I mean, you're saying nice things about stage managers. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bella, you've given so much of your life and your brain to theater. What is it about plays as opposed to say, films or novels that you think is so special you know that that was that's such a good question um and I was thinking about it and I was thinking about um the great pieces of art that have had influence on me um and they they do span uh, between theater, film, and literature. But I, I was thinking mm-hmm. how, for me, I think plays have more similarities to great novels than they do mm-hmm. to great films. In a I weird agree. way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that I can't quite uh, pinpointed, but there maybe it has something to do with with liveness because a, a a novel is happening, a novel is essentially happening live in your mind. Hmm, I don't know. Yeah. might not agree with that. I don't know. <laughs> well, but it's it's different. It, there's a way in which every time somebody reads it, it's a different thing, right? Whereas, mm-hmm. and and I think you're right because you know. Like so, I just read the namesake, uh-huh. and which is an incredible novel, and so much of my own life experience was part of my experience of reading that novel because it speaks to me, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really different thing from watching a film where even if you see things in the film you identify with, it's still the you're still watching the exact same images mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that another person would watch if they saw that film. Whereas when you read a book, you're interpreting it through your own yeah. lived experience. And I think a similar thing happens when you see a play because of the of the suspension of disbelief. And you're you're pretending that these people in front of you are characters. Right. In a different way than when you see a film, which is trying so hard to be to look exactly like what it is saying it is. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's something to that. I, I agree because very often we can agree on what is a great film and what is not. Like, The Godfather is a great film and, and you know... Uh, Avatar, Avatar is, is not. not, right? So <laughs> we can agree on these things, but it's it's much less common to agree on that was an excellent book and that was a horrible book because it's it's yeah. so much more personal because, again, you're interpreting it, you're creating the images of it in your own, through your own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I, I've often said this in other interviews and stuff, but one of the novels that, kind of shaped me as a person was uh is is dune by frank herbert which is a a classic science fiction novel and i read it very very young and i've met many people who it it does it did nothing for them you know they're like oh i'm i'm a much much bigger tolkien fan um (laughs) but for me and for me tolkien does nothing i i have no Mm -hmm. visceral reaction to it i'm yeah, I have the same. Yeah. I had the same experience reading. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. And so how is that like plays? Um I think with plays there's just so because it's not I mean as you know, we we so often worship at the altar of realism. <laughs> um mm-hmm. and right. And I, I just, I find it, I mean, it's, it has its time at its place and there's, you know, the, the great mid-century masters, they are the great mid-century masters and I give them all of the, uh, the respect and, and, uh, the respect that they are due, but it's such a small piece of the puzzle. Uh, and I, I, I just think that it's, theater is such an interpretive uh, medium. It's such an interpretive art form. I, I've seen plays before and walked out and been very sure of what I saw and then talked to someone and they were like, oh, I didn't think that at all. I thought I yeah. thought she meant that and that that was what happened at the end, you know? Um, but, and, and I find that that happens far less with movies, you know? Like, it's it's very kind of clear... Uh, what what the narrative of films are in general, although some art films can be can be a little bit more interpretive. But I think theater is very interpretive, and and can change. You know, you can you can have an actor who plays a role in a totally different way from somebody right, else. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah, true, yeah. Um, and it can just you know lend a, a whole different atmosphere um, to it to a piece. So I feel like, I feel like I didn't answer that question that well. (laughs) No, you did. You've given me a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to our listeners? Um, I'm trying to think how to best, usually we like to ask our guests like, oh, advice to start writing a play. But now I'm just starting to think, you know, what advice could you give to our listeners? I guess, theater in general <laughs> or um I'm trying to think well i mean you know writing a play this. or yeah. i still write plays yeah. you guys <laughs> writing still plays yeah yeah and, but and like because because you're from just like hearing is you just have this broad experience yeah well yeah because so. you're following your when it came to phd you kind of like had this impulse you had this idea and you you went with it you followed your instinct the same mm-hmm. way with the navigator's mm-hmm. theater so it's like, how I guess advice to follow your instinct, maybe? Like, what is it that? Yeah, I it pulls you, and I I think that that's mm-hmm. probably what it is. I, I, you know, often you guys frame it as such a positive thing, where often I feel as if I I jump back and forth between things too soon. And I'm not giving one thing all the time that it's due or something. Uh, But you guys frame it in a positive light. And that's so wonderful (laughs) and refreshing. So thank you. Um, uh, Because sometimes I I kind of beat myself up a little bit. And I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this. And I should have stayed just with playwriting. And where would I be now if, you know what I mean? Um, 
But I, right. I do think yeah. that, you know, a, a person is the sum of all of the parts. And um, I had this kind of complex interest. Uh, my, my interest in sci-fi kind of warped, not warped, but kind of uh, transmutated into um, a, a, a real keen desire to look at why theater, why certain genres of theater are valued more than other genres of theater. And, mm-hmm. and I, and it infuriated me and I had to know more about it. So, uh, and I thought, Oh, I'm going to solve this problem. Oh goodness. You never solve any problems. Let me just tell you right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know, I went and I, I started doing all of this research about, you know, high art and low art and high concept and low concept and, 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 uh, you know, the, the creation of, of uh, theater for entertainment and melodrama and where all these things came from. And, um, uh, you know, why, you know, we, we, we want to be seen seeing Shakespeare and Chekhov, but we don't want to be seen seeing, you know, the Tuesday afternoon matinee of, Mean Girls or whatever teeny bopper movie they have coming out, you know something like that. Um, and and why are why is that? You know stuff like that. How come certain canonical pieces have the value that they have? And so I kind of went on this journey of of, of looking at that, and uh, it, it's all related. You know, it's all kind of part of a particular journey of one person who 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 was interested in 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 this specific thing. So I try not to think about it as all like a mishmash. I, I try to think about it as a, as a, uh, as, as a path. Um, but, but I, I still think to this day that I, I, I would primarily identify myself as a playwright and the, mm-hmm. the advice I would give to someone who is looking to write a play is just not to self, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yes, that's exactly what it is. Don't self-censor. Because all of the times that I've written a good play have been times that I wrote something where I thought, this is too, I've gone too far down this weird path. And, and yes. no one is, everybody's going to be like, this is bizarre. Uh, and yes. Or even better. I'm never going to show this to anybody. <laughs> I'm just going to write it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the best mindset to have when you write a play, because somehow mm-hmm. that elicits truth. I don't know what it is, but there's a correlation yes. between you think that you're going too far down the path of the weird. And somehow that elicits truth. Um, And whenever Mm -hmm. I've written a play where I'm like, I'm going to write this play for the audience. Like I'm going to write a play that I think everybody wants to see. Like, like, but I, I myself, I'm not particularly passionate about, I'm going to try to write something that's commercially viable. Never is good. Ever, ever, ever. Um, I mean, like, when I wrote um, when I wrote the Aurora Project, I thought this is no, this is horrible. Like no one will care. It's super sappy. It's ridiculous. It's about the heat death of the universe. There's a robot who's immortal. Like it, nobody's. This is bizarre. And it's my most produced play. Like people, people, I mean, obviously there's people who don't like it, but people really like it. You know, there's a kind of, um, uh, there's a kind of atmosphere to it. Uh, and even though it's, it's a bizarre, stupid little, you know, 90 minute, uh, melodrama in space. Um, it, it, I think there's, you know, a little grain of truth in it. And, and when you, when you write a great play, there's always a little grain of truth in it. And I think that that little grain of truth Mm. requires you to go to a place where you feel 
naked or vulnerable or like no one will no one people will think that you're odd or or people won't resonate Mm -hmm. and yet they do yeah um Mm. so yeah that's my advice (laughs) that's amazing yeah I've seen I feel like I've seen at this point in my life I've seen so many sketch comedies like sketches three minute sketches and I think in that short amount of time the ones that stick with me the most is this truth there's like there's this comic idea behind that sketch from that writer who felt this certain way about and has a point of view about a certain situation or their feeling about a scenario or what's going on the current events or something and that I just remember those so much more than guy throwing poop all over their face. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) but it's just, I just, I just feel like this one, I'm just unseen so many. And I'm like, now I just, I'm starting to, which is so funny because I, now I'm just like starting to see that more after like years, I feel like now of seeing it, but now I'm just starting to notice it. Yeah, I think with comedy. Um, Yeah. The, I mean, the, the rule of comedy is that if it's not tragic to one person, at least, it won't be funny to others. You know, so if it's not truthful to one person somewhere, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. then it won't resonate with, with like a large group and make them laugh. Um, Does that mean comedy always has pain? Maybe. I guess. That's kind of morbid. It is. And it's very <laughs> Russian. Well, you know, <laughs> Chekhov, they're all comedies. Or at least he said they were. I know. He says that. That's what he says. That's the story. <laughs> he's sticking with it. Yeah. No, I think it's true. Awesome. I'm going to ponder that. All right. Well, this is a great time to move to Glistens, I think. Um, Glistens. Do you remember, Bella, what Glistens Yeah. Was? So weren't they like... <laughs> things in the play that just like jumped out at you but like didn't fit in any other category yeah yeah <laughs> so that's what this is for our podcast is at the end of we uh anything that happened in your life during the week that kind of stuck out with to you um and this is sort of our chance to hmm. share you want to share mm-hmm. yeah um oh my goodness i wish that i had something really lovely to say uh um um oh oh oh, oh no you go ahead you go ahead I start you... okay um so last night i went to see a show it's one of my favorite bands in the last year i've been listening to rainbow kitten surprise wow that's the, name of the band <laughs> yeah that's their, i love them so much um and but what a great name isn't it it's just and it has and their music is just, you can't really it's hard to categorize them too so it was really, i love them and uh there was this opening band called the greeting committee that opened rainbow kin surprise and this young she's 20 years old i've never been to an opening i've never been to a concert where the opening band was like she comes on stage she goes tells the audience does everyone feel safe does everyone feel oh, safe wow. right now are you all okay okay you're great if you're not we have security we can change that and i'm wow. like i was like this, what? this is a rock concert like this is a rock show and i'm like okay this is okay like this is different and she, you know she's they did her their set and it was really great it was so good um and in at the end she jumps into the crowd she's like surfing the whole you know the crowd serve that they go and they get off on, and she gets off on back on stage she, they do their closing number they're done and at the end she was like i have two things to say one thank you so much for coming out and all listening to us and blah blah, blah. and the second was whoever touched my boob during that crowd <gasps> serve you know you have no right. She's like scolded to the entire room Whoa. of like, I think it was like, it's a, it's a, it's about like a 2000 theater, you know, uh, space. And then they leave. And then his ba- her basis is like, all right, thanks everybody. <laughs> and then they all just exit the stage. And then I was just like, remember I was like sitting there. I was like, Whoa, I've never been to a, a rock concert like this where, uh, 
and she, you know, that's just, I was, it was such a, it was a good for her. For it was good. But I was like, this is, it was just like, I was just starting to re- recognize, whoa, this is like a really speaking to our times right now, where this like young yeah. woman, woman, just like, she is calling it out in this show yeah. you know but and you know what it's also it's like that's the next generation absolutely yeah it, it, it's, this um, is gener- well, yeah it, it, this times is, are changing yeah. it's a it's like, a totally different yeah i mean wow. it's great you know it's great uh that would have never happened 50, even 15 years ago 10 years ago mm-hmm. yeah so well and also wow. i think yeah like not only was 15 years ago the woman a woman in the same situation not felt comfortable saying like whoever touched my boob like that's fucked up but also yeah. mm-hmm. that it sounds like the men on stage with her were totally supportive of that oh and, yeah and that's so cool and that she wants yeah. to create that kind of environment yeah. where um it's yeah. you know I, I i i would venture to say that something like that is yeah. planned not planned i'm not saying she planned it but like she probably thought about like mm-hmm. i want to create this environment mm-hmm. so that they know that even at a rock concert, this is, you know, this is, it's not an -hmm. environment in which you can, which the rules go away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause in saying that she gave permission to all the women in the audience to say the same thing Mm -hmm. to them. Exactly. Yeah. So she's creating this environment. And what, and this is where it really annoyed me. Well, not her, but like, so when she said that, right. If someone, mm-hmm. some dude in the audience was like, don't tell me what to do. And then, what? like, you know, that's, oh I mean, God. whoever grabbed her, you know, felt oh like God. that they could go against that authority. Like, don't tell me what to do. This is my, and so that's what my mind went of, you know, she said those things. And then someone in the audience, some guy was like, don't tell me what to do. And then. Well, but I guess, her. I mean, you can't control everybody. No, you we, can't. What you but, can do is model for like what it looks like right. to right. call somebody out. Yeah. Yeah. What's your glisten, Bella? Um, so I have two, if that's okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. The first one is um this past week I read two novels. Um and I have not read, you read novels. Two novels in a week? week? Oh yeah. While working <laughs> on your PhD. Well I that's I amazing. Um, I'm taking so I'm taking a couple weeks off because it, it's oh, got summer it, got and it, got I just uh, I just yeah good for you, you know, finished writing a lot a lot a lot I just did a lot of writing uh, at the at the uh, in April and the beginning of May, in May really um, and so I'm not doing anything I'm not writing a word for like three weeks good for you wow uh, and this is really the first time in a number of years that I have felt like that I can tolerate sitting and reading for fun so I read. <laughs> novels um that uh I I had I had read one of them before and I loved it and I went back and it's a trilogy so I went back and I read the first one and then I read the second one which I had never read uh because I stopped after the first one in the trilogy and it was just the most joyous experience it was wonderful to to read a what novel are they? Um, what are the books? So they are, uh, it's a science fiction trilogy of novels. Very well-known writer, Octavia Butler. Do you know oh, her? Oh, yeah. We, we were just talking about her on a recent episode. Yeah. Yes, she's spectacular. Absolutely wonderful. Yes. Um, and she, uh, the, 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 the trilogy of novels is called the Xenogenesis Trilogy, or Lilith's Brood, and then each uh-huh. one has has a name. The first one is called Dawn, and the second one is called Adulthood Rights, and the third one is called Imago. And okay, uh, they wow. are just amazing. I mean, they're they're the kind of hard sci-fi, the feminist sci-fi uh, that I really, really love. Um, and it was a really, really wonderful experience to, to, to read a novel and, and really love it. <laughs> For the first time in a while. Oh. You should write a novel, Bella. Oh, you know, yeah. someday when I'm old, I think I'll I'll try it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's so, so many like little things that I like. You ever like you're driving in your car or something and you're like, isn't it so sad that I'll never know how to play the violin? 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm, like yeah. there are so many things that we just won't have time to do. Um, yeah. I think about that a lot. Like, oh, isn't it mm. so sad that I'll never have that experience? I would really love to learn to play an instrument and, and write a novel. But God, life is short. You hit 30 and you're like, no, oh my life God. life is long. I disagree. I think life is long. No, it's short. Which leads me to my next glisten. Oh, I mean, my, oh, wow. the next glisten, my glisten, which is that I'm at my 10-year college reunion wow. right now. I'm actually, I'm sitting in um, this, this room, performance space called Wilson Hall at Middlebury College. And what's so amazing about being here is that um, – about 10 years ago, maybe 11, I'm not totally sure, I saw a very early version of Town, And tonight, which is Anais Mitchell's musical on Broadway, and tonight is, I think, the Tonys. And it's up for a Tony. Oh, my God. That's award. so serendipitous. I know. It's just kind of amazing because she has been working on this show for so many years. And I have seen a couple iterations of it, but I haven't seen the Broadway show. I mean, I haven't seen it, the show as it exists in a number of years, but um, everybody here is talking about it. And it's just really cool to have um, been living my life at this time when this artist was putting together this show and now it's on Broadway. And yeah. Wow. So that makes me feel like life is long and has many chapters, but at the same time, you see things kind of come back around again and again. Yeah. Thank you for that. You know because I mean? I'm, I'm such a cynical pessimist that to hear somebody say that is, <laughs> I, I, to hear somebody say that is really good for me. So thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> Apparently there was like a high school reunion in my school and I was not invited to that. What? Well, I, maybe it was because I just got into the Facebook group too late, but. I was just like, what? There was a, there was a ten year reunion or whatever, and I. It doesn't matter. Was it this year? Just go to the next one. The, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I Five honestly minutes. don't remember anybody, and I did not talk to anybody from high school. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> so, then there you go. So I probably will never go. Um. Anyways, uh, Bella, thank you so much for coming on our show. This was awesome. It's been wonderful okay. talking. Thank to you, you so much for having me. I had such a good time. Uh, where can listeners find you and learn more about you? Um, so I have a website, bellapointon.com. Um, you can nice. also look up the navigators at navigatorstheater.com, spelled E-R. And what else? Nice. I appreciate that. Uh, well, some, sometime we should do an episode about ER versus RE. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we should. You, sh- you should. <laughs> I think it would be a really it interesting is, it is. I, I think it would be an interesting conversation, too. It's a cool idea. I'll add it to the list. And then you have that show coming up. Um, yes. At the end of June. We, we have Shelter coming up. And I, you know, I, I tried to look for it as we were talking, and I cannot find the goddamn date. Um, wait, maybe it's, it's okay. We're going to find it and we will tell. The yes. I can't find the date, yeah. I, but shelter opening in Chicago at the end of June. Yes. Shelter opens in Chicago end of June at Otherworld theater. Um, please go to Otherworld for otherworld, uh, for tickets or navigators.com for tickets. Uh, if you are in the Chicagoland area, it's a really cool show. It's extremely funny. Uh, but also very heartfelt. Um, and, you know, we, we, we loved it so much that we, that we're doing it and, and, you know, we don't do that many uh, full length shows. So it really is special. It's a special piece. Awesome. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. And listeners, don't forget to check her out. And as always, Check us out. We are on social media. Beckett's Babies. We also have a website too. So don't forget. And thank you for listening. And thank you too. Yeah, but don't forget. <laughs>